Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. So every good sermon starts with either a question or an illustration. And I hope this is going to be a good sermon because I actually have both. How many of you guys know what this is? Anybody know what this is? Okay, this is called a wubby. Okay, all you, all you parents, you know what this is. This is called a wubby, and no, that's not the Greek word. It's actually just gibberish, and, and here's what it is. It's a soft, plush little teddy bear. And this is actually the first gift that I ever d- gave my daughter, Ruth Moon. Just a couple weeks ago, my daughter, Ruth, she was born, and we welcomed in our brand new baby girl. I actually have a picture. Look at that. That's a picture of my family. Look at that. Look, that's Ashley. That's my beautiful wife, Ashley. This is my daughter, Esther's son. She's the big sister. And that little one crying right there, that is baby Ruth Moon. On the day that my daughter Ruth was born, we hugged her and we held her and we prayed over her. We did skin to skin together. And then, and that's when I gave her this. It's, it's her wubby. This is the first gift that I ever gave to my daughter. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to start a brand new sermon series over the subject of spiritual gifts, that the same way that I gave a gift to my daughter on the day that she was born, your heavenly father gives you a gift on the day that you were born, but not the day that you were born physically, but the day that you were born spiritually. If you have become a Christian, you need to know that you have been born again. And the moment that you are born again, your heavenly father, he gives you a spiritual gift. And so the goal of this series is to help you discover your spiritual gifts so that way you can make a difference. I'm going to put this down right here because that would be a little distracting if I carried it the whole time I preached. So how many of you with your life, you want to make a difference? How many of you want to make a difference in the world? You want your life to matter. You want your life to count. You want to live for a purpose. You want to live for a reason. You want to do something amazing. How many of you, you want to make a difference? Then you need to discover your spiritual gifts because your gifts are God's way to enable your life to make a difference. And he wants you to begin to discover your gifts. I wholeheartedly truly believe that if you are here and you are a Christian, you have at least one spiritual gift that the moment you are born again, God, the father loves to give spiritual gifts to his sons and his daughters. Only thing that Ruth needed to do to receive this gift was to be my daughter. And today, I want for you to know that if you are a child of God, if you are a son or a daughter of your heavenly father, he loves to give spiritual gifts. And so we're going to start a four-week study over the topic of spiritual gifts. You guys excited? Y'all ready? Before we dive into this, there is something very important that I do need to address Some of you, you're new to church, you're new Christians, you're like, this is incredible, I got a spiritual gift and I didn't even know it, Woohoo! I can't wait to discover my gift. Okay, you're fired up, you're jacked, you're excited. Now others of you, you've been in church for a while, you've been around the block or two and so you know that the spiritual gifts are a little controversial. Okay, you, you know that there's some division 
there's some disagreements and there's been a lot of debate around the subject of spiritual gifts. Okay, not everybody gets really excited whenever you start talking about spiritual gifts, right? Some people, you grew up in traditions where they made way too much and freaked everybody out when it came to the gifts. Others of you, you come from traditions where they're like, please, let's not talk about that because that's what's going to make us weird. We're not going to have anything to do with the gifts. Other people, they just ignore it. Some people, they think it's from the Holy Spirit. And then some people think, oh, that's for demons. Right? When it comes to the gifts, there's a lot of division. Many churches have been very divided for very many years over the subject of spiritual gifts. There's basically two camps. There's the cessationists who believe that the gifts are no longer in operation. And whenever the final apostle died and the last period was put on the Bible and the book was closed, the Holy Spirit went back to heaven, took all the gifts with them. And so they're no longer in operation anymore no more sign or miraculous gifts. Then there's other people like me who are what's known as continuationists, which believe that the full gifts of the Spirit are still in continuation for the day. And then there's other people like you who aren't cessationists or continuationists. You're just confused and you're like, what is he talking about? I want you to understand something. The goal of this series is not for us to debate the gifts. The goal of this series is to help you discover yours. Right, if you come to redemption and you want to debate, you've come to the wrong church. Okay, we're not going to debate with you. You're smarter than us. You win. Okay, great. Right, we're not going to debate the gifts. See, personally, we believe that the gifts are still in operation. And if you want to debate, you can go back two years into the sermon archives. I preached a whole eight-week series over the person of the Holy Spirit. And we laid out our foundational doctrines, beliefs on the role of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives to his church. We get all into the theology and the systematic studies of all of that. And if you want to debate, you can go back and you can listen to the archives. And then you can email Ethan at RedemptionTX.com. <laughs> And he would love to be able to debate the gifts. But in the meantime, we're not here to debate the gifts. My goal for this series is to help you discover your gifts. Okay, so we're not going to be debating. We're not going to divide. Instead, what we're going to do is discover the gifts so that we together can make a difference. So with that being said, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's the best place for us to get an introduction on the spiritual gifts. I'm going to read an entire chapter of the Bible today, and then I want to ask five questions. The sermon title today is this. The sermon title today is, What Are the Spiritual Gifts? And I'm going to ask five questions to help you answer this question, so that way you can discover your gift to make a difference. Picking up in chapter 12, verse 1, here's what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth, now concerning, what's the word? Spiritual gifts. Brothers, that's family. He's talking about brothers and sisters. If you have become a Christian, you are adopted into the family of God. God is our father. We are a family. Together, we are brothers and sisters, and we have received spiritual gifts. He says, I do not want for you to be uninformed. There's many people who are uninformed when it comes to their giftings. Many of you are uninformed when it comes to your giftings. That I was talking to people all week, and they were like, I don't know what my gift is. Many of you, you didn't even know that you had a gift until you came here today. That's why we want to help you discover your gifts. Out in the lobby, there's a, a wall, an interactive wall with illustrations made by a graphic designer and artist that goes to our church. She custom designed based upon the leading of the Spirit, different illustrations for each of the gifts. And 
you can go and you can pick out one of the gifts as you pray and ask God, what is my gift? And if he highlights or if there's one gift that's interesting to you, you can take it and you can bring it home. And on the back of it, there's a full Bible study explanation for you to be reading on your gifts at home. And so as people, after each service, were looking at the gifts, they're like, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know how to find a gift. I don't know what my gift is because they are uninformed when it comes to the spiritual gifts. The whole goal of this series is to help you discover what that gift is. On the other hand, there's many of you, you've been in church for a while, you're a Christian, you took the test, do you think you know what your gift is? I believe that God wants to show you that there's more room for you to grow, there's more ways for you to cultivate, develop, discover what gifts you might have. And so the whole goal of this series, starting in 12.1, is that we would discover the gifts so that way we can make a difference. Picking up where we keep going. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, that is non-Christians, you were led astray. For no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one says Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. How many of you would say, Jesus is Lord? How many of you would be able to say that? Jesus is Lord. That is the shortest, that is the shortest declaration of faith found in the Bible. Jesus is Lord. And do you know the only way that it is possible for you to say the words, Jesus is Lord, from your heart and to mean it is by the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you need to understand something. You have the Holy Spirit. That God, the Spirit, on the moment you confessed your sins, repented to him, the moment that you gave your life to Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, he indwells you, he fills you, he seals you with salvation, and then he gives to you spiritual gifts. So where do the spiritual gifts come from? Paul tells us that the gifts actually come from God. I want you to notice the language that Paul uses here. It is incredibly Trinitarian. Look at the language. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God, that's the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. What Paul is trying to show us is that the trick to understanding the gifts is not to start with the gifts, but to start with God. See, some people, they get, a, they get really into the gifts and they forget about God. Some people, they'll make a really big deal about the gifts, but they do so and they forget about God. When you have the gifts without God, you end up in some really wonky places, right? But here's what you need to know. Paul starts here. He says, I'm going to teach you all about the spiritual gifts. I'm going to help you discover your spiritual gifts. I want for you to make a difference with your spiritual gifts. But there's one thing we got to get first. We need you to know who God is. Don't start with the gifts, instead start with God. What you need to understand is this, our God is a giver. The heart, the nature, the character of God is that he loves to give. This is one of the things that differentiates the God of the Bible from the false demon gods of the world, is that every other God they take, you have to do this and do this and do this and earn this, and you have to travel here and give this much money, and you have to do these things, and then maybe God will answer you. That's not how the God of the Bible works, that our God loves to give. 
that every other religion and philosophy and ideology, it just takes from you, but our God gives to you. Our God is the most gracious, the most generous. He is the most giving God that there is. And if you just think to the storyline of the Bible, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21, it's just God giving. Right? If you think there's one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And this is what we know as the doctrine of the Trinity. That the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Son and the Father, and they give to one another. They are co-equal, co-eternal, with mutual love, joy, respect, adoration, harmony, unity, and generosity to one another. And then out of this great love and generosity, God made the world. He made everything in the universe that we see. That God, in Genesis 1, he made the heavens and the earth, he made the, the plants and the animals, the sea and the stars and the moon and, the, and, the, and the, the, the sun, and God made the platypus, everything that there is. God made that, and here's what we see in Genesis 1, is that when God made man, he gave man dominion. That means that all of this world is a gift from God to us. So whenever you wake up in the morning, that's a gift from God. Whenever you watch a sunrise, that's a gift from God. Whenever you see a sunset, that's a gift from God. Whenever you hold your baby girl or your, your boy, that's a gift from God. When you look into the eyes of your spouse, that is a gift from God. When you shake the hands of a stranger, that is the gift from God. When you take a breath in your lungs, when your feet hit the floor, when you wake up, all that is is a gift from God. Everything we see, everything we touch, everything we taste, everything we feel, everything we have is a gift and God gives it to us because our God is a, a giver and that is amazing problem is it only lasted three chapters because Genesis chapter 3 everything began to fall apart that our first parents Adam and Eve they sinned they fell they rebelled and they separated themselves from God and in their sin they fell headlong towards death and destruction and chaos and sin began to rule and reign and dominated in the world. And if you read the book of, you know, from Genesis all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, basically the storyline of the Old Testament is this, is that God brings life, sin brings death. That's it. That God brings life, sin brings death. God brings life, sin brings death over and over through God's people. He's up in heaven watching as his children struggle and strain and suffer and strive, and yet they die. And so God does something. That God, he decides that he was going to do something about it. He was going to enact the great plan that he had from the beginning of the foundations of the world. That God so loved the world that he gave. In John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God the Father gives us God the Son. And then Jesus steps onto the scene, and Jesus comes loving and helping and serving and blessing, and what does he do? He gives. He is a giver. He's preaching, teaching, healing, casting out demons, revealing the kingdom of God, performing signs, wonders, miracles. He is forgiving the unforgivable. He is loving the unlovable. He is pardoning the unpardonable. He is healing those who are rejected and dejected and outcast. Jesus comes, and Jesus gives. 
and Jesus Christ lives the perfect life, the life that you and me could never live. Jesus died the painful death, the death in your place for your sins. As he goes to the cross, he's arrested, denied, betrayed, crucified, murdered, hanging on the cross for the sins of this world, and Jesus Christ gives his life. In Mark 10, Jesus says that no one takes my life from me, but I give it to them freely, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gives us his life. And then through Jesus, through his death, burial, resurrection, he conquers Satan, sin, hell, and the grave. That the addictions that have bound you are broken, he gives you freedom. That the past that has been haunting you is forgiven, he has given you freedom. That he does all of this just for you because Jesus is a giver. And then upon his resurrection, he ascends to the right hand of the Father where he gives the Holy Spirit. The last words that Jesus tells his disciples is to stay here and pray for you and receive power when I give to you the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. So God the Father gives God the Son, God the Son gives God the Spirit, and then God the Spirit enables us, indwells inside of us, he empowers us, he inspires us, the Spirit comes and illuminates the church. And then in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday, Peter stands up and preaches the first sermon, and the church is born, and the 3,000 people get baptized in a single day. Missionaries get sent. Churches get planted. People are giving tithes and offerings. Strangers are becoming family. People who are outcasts have now become parts and members of the church, and the church explodes, and the church grows. And here we are 2,000 years later, and there's 3.5 billion people on the planet worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord. What started in the upper room in Jerusalem has made its way all the way here to downtown Beaumont, Texas at Redemption Church. God the Father gives God the Son. God the Son gives God the Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to the church. How do you think we got here? Because God the Spirit has been working in the people of God for 2,000 years. That all comes through the spiritual gifts. But it all comes from God. Paul says, do you want to know about the gifts? First, you got to know about the giver. Do you want to know about the gifts? I'll tell you about the gifts, but first, let me tell you about God. It starts with God. In this series, we're going to talk a lot about spiritual gifts, but we got to get this first. How is your relationship with God? Okay, we're going to talk about varieties of activities, but how is your relationship with God? We're going to talk about varieties of services, but first, how is your relationship with God? We're going to talk about opportunities, and I'm going to encourage you to sign up for a serve team and go to Next Steps and get involved in the church. We're going to do all of that. But first, how is your relationship with God? See, some people, they get really excited about the gifts, but I want you to be excited about God because that's where the gifts come from. So let me ask you the question, where do the gifts come from? They come from, they come from God. So how is your relationship with God? I want you to be praying and thinking through this whole series that if I want the gifts, I need to be with the giver. If I want to grow in my gifts, first I need to grow in my relationship with God. 
The gifts, they come from him. So let's start there, which leads us into the second question, okay? Who gets the spiritual gifts? Here's what he says in verse 6, 1 through 11. But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. He's going to list nine spiritual gifts here. He starts with the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the Spirit of God. To another, gifts of healings by one Spirit. To another, the workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues, and all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each individually as he wills. One of the big misunderstandings that comes along with the spiritual gifts is this question, who gets the gifts? The other day we were doing our Thanksgiving outreach and I was up here serving as we were, you know, feeding the community and passing out meals to those who are in need. And I was inviting people to church and I said, hey, we're going to be starting this series. It's going to be amazing. It's a brand new series over the subject of spiritual gifts. And people were like, well, I, have, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know if I have a gift or not. Like, do I have a gift? I was like, yeah, you have a gift. They're like, really? I have a gift. Like, yes, you have a gift. But what was so heartbreaking was this, is I actually met one man who said, I don't have a gift. I said, well, are you a Christian? He said, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I, I don't have a gift because I'm not special. And some of you, you come here and you feel that way. You feel unworthy. You feel like maybe you've done too much, or you've gone too far, or maybe you're not smart enough, and you're not talented enough, and nobody knows your name, and you didn't take the Bible class, and you don't feel like you have a spiritual gift. I want you to know that that's not true. See, somewhere in this man's life, someone had deceived or lied to him, and he came under the impression that if he didn't have a microphone, or if he wasn't in leadership, then he was not gifted. Okay, I want you to know that's not true. Just because I'm on the stage doesn't mean that I'm more gifted than you. Just because the lights are down on me doesn't mean that I'm more gifted than you. See, I think that's one of the things in the 21st century American church is we have this addiction to platform to where we think, oh, there's somebody on stage. They must be better than everybody else. That's not true. You don't know what's happening off stage. So just think about it. Just because someone's on the stage or just because someone has a title after their name doesn't mean that they're more gifted or special or loved by the Father than you are. Who gets the gifts? Paul's going to tell us actually everyone gets the gifts. Okay, just look at the wording here. Just don't believe me. Let me go ahead and show you. Let's look at the Bible. It says this, but it is the same God who empowers them all in how many? Everyone. everyone. Okay, do you know what that word means in the Greek? Everyone. All right, it doesn't mean some. It doesn't mean most. It doesn't mean everybody but you. Okay, it doesn't mean almost. That word, it means everyone. To each one gets a gift. And God is the one who empowers them in who? Everyone. God is up in heaven. He's like Oprah. He's like, you get a gift, 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 you get a gift. There's a gift for everyone. Hey, do me a favor. Look under your chair right now. There's a gift for you. Like that's... That's how God works, because God loves to give gifts. And the Father, hear me on this, the Father does not play favorites when it comes to giving gifts to his kids. 
I want you just to think about it. Back to the introduction in the beginning from my, my daughter, Ruth. What did Ruth need to do in order to receive the gift from me? Nothing. She just had to be mine. I gave it to her because I loved her. She was my daughter, and so I gave her the gift. You need to understand something. Your gifts are received. They are not achieved. See, some people think that they can achieve their gift, that if I can just earn God's love, if I can earn God's favor, if I can just do enough things, then maybe I will be gifted. No, 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 no. Your gifts are not achieved. Your gifts are received. He's a good father in heaven who loves to give open-handedly, graciously, generously to his children. It's not like God's up in heaven saying, oh, you've been really good this year. I'm going to get you a gift. Oh, you've been really bad. No gift for you. It's not like God's up in heaven saying, oh, wow, did you see them? I'm going to give them miraculous powers. Like, oh, look at them over there. They got the gift of faith. There you go. Faith, fire from heaven. Woohoo, you go. There you go. There you go. Oh, look at you. Tongues and interpretation. Right? <laughs> oh, no, oh, you've been bad this year. You missed one out of every four Sundays. Mm, no gift for you this year. How many of you would do that to your kids? I'm just thinking about whenever Jesus says, if, those, if you, those who are evil, still know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much does your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to those who ask? Why do we think that we're better parents than God himself? I mean, if God is a father and he loves you, then why would he treat you any differently than you would love to treat your children? You need to understand this, is that your gifts are not achieved your gifts are received, and the closer you get to your father, the better you're going to understand your gifts. Who gets the gifts? Everyone. If you're a son or a daughter of God, then you have a gift. The only thing you need to do to receive the gift is just become a Christian. Just become a part of the family of God, and then you'll love and you'll learn and you'll grow in the gifts that you have. Which leads into the third question. What are the spiritual Gifts. Great question. Glad you asked. To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, the Bible actually doesn't give us an exhaustive list. There's not one place where it lists all of the different gifts. And there's a lot of disagreements on how many gifts there are. So some people I read, they say there's 18 gifts. Some people, there's only nine gifts. Some people, there's 28 gifts. Okay, for the sake of this series, we're going to do 21 different spiritual gifts. Here we see nine gifts that are actually listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 7. But if you drop down to the bottom, he's going to list some other gifts. In Romans 12, there's more gifts. In Ephesians 4, there's other gifts. And then Peter jumps in in 1 Peter 4. And then 1 Peter 4 actually includes some other gifts. We're not going to dive into the nine gifts here today. We're going to save that for a different week. Next week, we're going to cover Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, the gift list sets there. Then the final week, we're going to cover these, which are the more miraculous gifts. And then on week four, we're going to cover 1 Corinthians 13, teaching you how to use your gifts in the local church. But before we do that, here's what we need to do. We need to have a working definition of a spiritual gift. So many of you are wondering, what is a spiritual gift? I see it. I read it. I want it. I want to know about it. But what is a spiritual gift? In order for me to answer that, first, I have to tell you what a spiritual gift is not. Okay, first, a spiritual gift is not 
a natural talent. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. The spiritual gifts are not natural talents. Whenever we see somebody who's just really good at something, what do we say? We say they are gifted. Okay, maybe, but maybe not. There's a difference between a natural talent and a spiritual gift. See, people who are non-Christians, they have natural talents. But that doesn't mean that it's a spiritual gift. So for example, LeBron James. Right? LeBron James, he is naturally talented at basketball. Okay, I, on the other hand, am not, right? But he is not supernaturally empowered, endowed by God to dunk. Right? He is <laughs> genetically engineered just to be better than all of us. He is 6'8, 250, right? I mean, that's God did not supernaturally empower him by the Spirit to play basketball, right? A lot of hard work, a lot of training, a lot of genetics went into it, but God's not going to give me the gift of dunk. Like, it's just not going to happen, right? I am 5'9 on a good day. And if you see me running, you better run because something's chasing me and we're all in trouble. There is not a spiritual gift of basketball. Okay, that is a natural talent. Some of you, you have some amazing natural talents. Now, God can use your talents, but don't confuse your talent with the gift. So some of you can sing. Right? I can't sing. Now, you, you don't want me to. Right? I have to make sure my microphone's off during worship because then y'all would never come back to church if I sang. You don't want that, right? Some of you can dance. I, I can't dance. I was raised in the church. They didn't let us. Like, I can't do, I can't do that. Right? And some of you, you're gifted in other areas. You're incredibly artistic. But artistry is not necessarily a spiritual gift. Dancing is not a gift. Right? Baptists, you need to know dancing is also not a sin, but it's also not a gift. <laughs> Singing is not a gift. But there is ways that God can use your gifts through your talents for his glory and the good of others. But do not confuse a natural talent with a spiritual gift. The second thing is they're not personality types. How many of you have gone online and taken one of those personality tests? Right, do you know what your, are you, are, have you done the Myers-Briggs? Okay, what are you on the Myers-Briggs? Are you an ENFP? Are you an INTJ? Are you a J-E-R-K? Like, what's your Myers-Briggs? <laughs> have you done the, the, the DISC assessment? You know, the high D, the low C, more dominant in your personality? Or my personal favorite, the Enneagram. How many of you have done the Enneagram? Right, I'm a three-wing two, which means I love to be successful and I want to help you succeed, which goes to explain the subtitle of this sermon series, Help You Discover Your Gifts So You Can Make a Difference. That's all me. That's the three on my Enneagram. There you go. You are welcome. We did the Enneagram. I've read the books. We've taken the tests. We've done it with our whole team. It's super helpful, wonderful. It is cool to tell you your personality, but it's not going to tell you your spiritual gifts. Okay, there is a difference between natural talents and personality types than spiritual gifts. And then the last one is this, superpowers. Okay, some of you are like, do I get superpowers? No, right, this is not the Avengers, this is not X-Men, this is Bible. Okay, I remember growing up in a church, right, a charismatic church, and in youth group they were like, hey, the spiritual gifts, they're like your superpowers. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be amazing. What is my superpower? I got prophecy. I've got miraculous powers, right? I have wisdom and knowledge. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, dang, I got tongues. <laughs> the spiritual gifts are not superpowers. They're not natural talents and they're not personality types. So what is a spiritual gift? Here's what the spiritual gifts is in five Greek words. 
Throughout this series, Paul's going to use different Greek words to use to make up this word spiritual gift. Here's the five words. It's the word charismata, diakonia, energema, dunamai, and nematicos, starting with charismata. Right? This word is actually from the Greek word charis, which means grace. So a spiritual gift is a grace. It means undeserved, unmerited favor from God on your life. It's grace. And when God's grace flows to you, then God's grace flows through you, and that's a spiritual gift. When the grace of God flows through you to bless another person, that's a spiritual gift. The second thing he says is diakoniah. This is where we get the word deacon, which it literally in the Greek means one who waits tables. It's an act of service. Whenever you're serving others, then you're using your spiritual gift. As you're serving and blessing and helping and furthering and welcoming people into the church, you're doing so, and that is a spiritual gift. It is a grace. It is a service. It is a working. That's what energema means. It means to work. How many of you have seen God work in your life? Okay, that's through a spiritual gift. How many of you have seen God work in someone else's life? Yeah, that's through a spiritual gift. How many of you want to see God work in someone's life? Then that's a spiritual gift. It's an energema. And then the other thing is this. It says edunami, which it means power. Right? We're praying for God's power. We're praying for the gifts. When we want to see God move in visible, tangible, miraculous ways, that is a prayer for a spiritual gift because it's a prayer for dunamai or for power. It is the charismata. It is the diakonai. It is the energema. It is the dunamai. It is the gift. And then the most important word right here is this word pneumaticos. Can you guys say that with me? Y'all sound so smart. Look, I wasted you know, four years of Bible college to learn how to say that, and you learned it for free. There you go. Pneumaticos. Very important. In 1 Corinthians 12, 1, here's what he says. Now, concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. What he's really saying is this. Now, concerning the pneumaticos, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. That word pneumaticos, it actually means spirituals. Okay, and that doesn't make sense to us in America or in English because we don't have a word to describe it. So when he says concerning the spirituals, what he's really saying is concerning the stuff that the spirit does. That's what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is the stuff that the spirit does. So whenever you see grace flowing through you, that is pneumaticos. Whenever you see serving happening, that is pneumaticos. Whenever you see God working, that is pneumaticos. Whenever you see the power of God on display, that is pneumaticos, because that is the stuff that the Spirit does. That is the pneumaticos. And when it comes to the pneumaticos, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed about what the Spirit of God does. See, a spiritual gift is nothing fancy. It's nothing weird. It's not anything crazy. It's actually very simple. It's the stuff that the Spirit wants to do in your life. So here's my definition of what a spiritual gift is. You ready? Okay, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Here's very important. Here's my definition of a spiritual gift. It's the Spirit of God being revealed through the people of God. 
Here he says in verse 7, to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit, the pneumaticos, the stuff of the Spirit for the common good. It is the Spirit of God being revealed through the people of God. See, the Spirit is always there. But there are times when he's made visible. The Spirit is always speaking, but there's times when he becomes audible. The Spirit is always present, but there's some times when he becomes manifest. There are some times and some moments, and there are some things that happen when people see, and they're just like, that is the Spirit of God, that God has shown up, that God is showing up, and that God is working. And here's the good news, is that God loves to do that through his people. It's the Spirit of God being revealed through the people of God. Listen, there are people out there who need wisdom, and God loves to give wisdom, but he wants to do it through you. There are people who need knowledge. How many of you, you need understanding? You want to grow in your love for the Bible and for your knowledge of theology and doctrine and scripture. There are people who can help you with that. God wants to give you knowledge, and there are people who can be able to help you because that's the spirit of God working through them. There are some people who are hurting and suffering and struggling, and they need healing, and God loves to bring healing, but he wants to do so through his people. There are others who need to hear the word of God, and God loves to speak, and he wants to do so through his people. People need miracles. People need hope. People need encouragement. People need mercy. And God loves to show mercy, but he loves to do so through his people. God wants to work in you. God wants to work on you. And God wants to work through you. And that's what a spiritual gift is. It's the spirit of God being revealed through the people of God. That's what a spiritual gift is, which leads us to the next question is this. Why does God give the spiritual gifts? Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, Jew or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Guess what day today is? Baptism Sunday. Guess what we just read in the Bible? baptisms, right? I love it when God makes that work. In God's providence, he knew we'd be doing the spiritual gifts. He also knew there were many who needed to be baptized. And here we find in the middle of a sermon about spiritual gifts is also a subject about baptism. So baptism is incredible. There are some of you today, you're going to get baptized. Praise God for you. We are excited for you. You're going to step in those waters as brothers and sisters, and you're going to take your place in the legacy and lineage of the Christian faith as you go public with life changed through Jesus. Everyone has been baptized who believes that they're Christians. If you're a Christian, you should be baptized. There is no reason for you not to be baptized. Here Paul says, for we were all baptized into one body. That if you're a Christian, you get baptized. That's just the way that it is. He doesn't say any exclusions. He doesn't give any exemptions. He says, we were all baptized into one body. And then he says, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. I love what Jesus is doing in our church because there's people from all different backgrounds. In their church, there was Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. In our church, there's like addicts and there's wealthy people. There's poor people, black people, rich people. There's white people, Latino, Asian. You got skinny jeans, cargo shorts. Bring them all together. Dunk them in the water. We call that a church. He says, before Jesus, we were all different. But once we meet Jesus, 
the Spirit brings us together, and we become one body. For those of you who are getting baptized today, welcome to the body of Christ. For those of you who are getting baptized today, welcome to the family of God. For those of you who are being baptized today, welcome to redemption. We love you. He goes on and he continues to say, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, then where would the sense of smell be? What do you call a nose with no body? Nobody knows. So, <laughs> just see it if you're still with me. But as it is, That's not in my notes, by the way. <laughs> but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And if all were a single member, then where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And in our unpresentable parts, they are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, how many suffer? All suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. So why does God give the spiritual gifts? so that you and me together, we can become the body. God gives the gifts so that we can become the church. See, the word body is actually Paul's favorite metaphor when he describes the church. What's interesting is he refers to us as the bride of Christ. Sometimes we're like a military troop marching forward. Sometimes we're referred to as a family, but over and over again, he refers to the church as the body of Christ. In fact, it's his favorite metaphor. He uses it every time he teaches over spiritual gifts. He also teaches that the church is a body. Now, why would Paul connect gifts and the body together? Why would he do that? Here's what I think. That people don't just have gifts. People are gifts. If you are here in this church, I want you to know you are a gift to us. People don't just have gifts. People are gifts. And you are a gift to us. Every person who walks through the doors of this church, I want you to know you are a gift to us here at Redemption. Every person who steps in these waters today, I want you to know you are a gift to us as a church. People don't just have gifts, people are gifts. And what that means is this, is that when we are together, we are healthier, we are stronger, we are better. But when you are missing, when you are gone, or when you are disengaged, the body becomes weaker. The body is not as healthy as it's supposed to be. And we're not as strong as we need to be. You are a gift to this church 
And this church needs you to use your gifts. People don't just have gifts. People are gifts. So that means is whenever you decide not to come to church, the church is weaker without you. When you decide you don't want to go to your community group, the church is weaker without you. Your community group is weaker without you. When you decide that you don't want to be a part of the serve team, well, the serve team is weaker without you. The body is weaker without you because you have gifts that the church needs, but you are the gift that God gives to the church. People don't just have gifts, people are gifts. So that means for those of you who have been coming since the very beginning of our church, you are a gift to us. To those who your first Sunday was last week, you are a gift to us. For those of you who signed up to join the serve team and you went to Next Steps and you just got on your team, you are a gift to us. For those of you who have been serving and you're burnt out and you're tired and you're exhausted and you feel unappreciated, I am sorry because we did not treat you like the gift that you are. There are times and seasons, and I'm aware of this as the pastor of this church, and it grieves me, that there are times that we have used people for their gifts instead of seeing them as the gift. And sometimes it's easy for churches to run people in the ground and then guilt them for not doing what they want them to do. We've all seen it. We've all been there. We've all been a part of it. But this text tells us this, that more than what you do, we love you for you. That you don't just have a gift, you are a gift. And you make our church better. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day who's a pastor, and he sees, oh, your church is growing, and God's doing some incredible things. Like, where would you say you are as a church? And so I, had to, I was like, you know, I know exactly what I would say our church is like. We're like a junior high kid. How many of you remember it being in junior high? Right? Awkward, right? <laughs> Why? Because your body didn't fit you. <laughs> you're like, what's going on? I don't know anything that's happening. Like your arms are longer than your torso and you're walking around like this all the time. Right? None of your clothes fit you anymore. You're breaking out in acne. You're sweating like crazy. You don't know who your friends are, and you're like, I don't know what to do with my life. Right? How many of you remember being in junior high? Okay, how many of you want to go back to being in junior high? Right? It was awkward, right? Why? Because your body was changing. You weren't a child anymore, but you had not yet reached full maturity. As a church, okay, we're not kids anymore. Our church is three years old. It's a new church. At the beginning of the year, we were running 100. Today, we have 300-plus people who are coming. Right? Our body is growing, and it's immature. I know our church better than anybody else, and I'll tell you, there's some things we're really good at, and then there's some things we're not so good at. There's some things that we excel in, and then there's some areas that and we need a lot of help in, that we are growing, but we have not yet met maturity. And this is why the spiritual gifts are so important. Because you will come in here and you can notice that you have a particular gift that's missing in our church. And you can look and you can say, oh, well, this church doesn't have that, and so this isn't for me. Or you could realize that maybe God brought you here to be the gift to our church to use your gift for the church. 
to pick up on the illustration of a hand. You know, you can come to church and say, I am a hand. And then you look around and you don't see any hands. You say, this church must not need me. No, actually, this church does need you because you are the hand. And you can go to another church that has 18 hands, and we can be amputated, and they could be mutated, and that's what the church looks like today. Instead of saying, I want to find this and that and everything to be just like me, maybe you will realize that you're the gift to this body, and you have what we've been missing, and we desperately need you. So some of you, you come here, and you have the gift of serving. And you're like, I want to serve. I want to serve. Hey, we need you. And you might look around at the 530 service and you realize, hey, I saw all these serve team people this morning and here they are again. That's because there's a need for service in the 530. And you say, oh, that's my place now. Or maybe you come in and you see that, you know, there's, you have the gift of mercy and you look around and everybody's mean. And you're like, these people aren't very nice. Maybe because they need somebody to teach them how to be merciful. Or maybe you have the gift of hospitality, and you're like, I like baking muffins for people. And then you go over to somebody's house, and they're like, hey, you're sitting in my chair. You're like, that's not very nice. That's not very hospitable. Well, I know, maybe they need you to teach them what it looks like to be surrounded with the gift of hospitality. Some of you, you have the gift of prophecy, and you'll notice we don't have a lot of prophecy going on in our church. Does that mean we don't love prophecy or desire prophecy? No, it just means that you haven't shown up yet, and you haven't taught us how to use that gift. So don't be looking at the church and always saying what's wrong and what's broken and what's missing. Instead, try to figure out a way to where you can be the answer to prayers and you can use your gift by being a gift to the church. We need you as a church. People don't just have gifts. People are gifts. And we want for you to be able to discover how to use your gifts so as a church we can become mature and not junior high kids anymore. <laughs> Which leads to the final question is this. How do I discover my gift? Here's what he says. And God has appointed in the church first apostles. Does the church need apostles? Yes. Second prophets. Does the church need prophets? Yes. Third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of helps and healing and administration and various kinds of tongues. Then he goes on and he asks this question, are all apostles? It's a rhetorical question. No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But don't let that discredit you. Don't let that turn you away. Don't let that make you feel like it's not important. Don't let that negate everything that Paul said in the first 30 verses of this chapter. Here's what he says. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will still show you a more excellent way. The whole goal of this series is to show you a more excellent way. We want for you to discover your gifts because we want for you to make a difference. Are all apostles? No. But maybe you are, and maybe God has brought you here so that way you can use that gifting. Are all prophets? No. But maybe you are, and maybe God brought you here so that way you can discover, learn, grow, and use that gifting. Do all have gifts of healings or of miracles, of our administration, helps all people speak in tongues and interpret? Not all at any moment, but maybe you do for this moment. Here's the reason why. It's because the church is too big for one person. That one person cannot do everything. Could you imagine what this church would be like if it was only me? Right? It would be horrible. 
Right? That's what our church was like for the first two years, and it was horrible. Some of y'all remember that. You're like, I can't believe anything happened, and it was horrible. Right? The church is not designed based upon the giftedness of the one, but on the gifts of the many. That the church is not supposed to be one person doing everything. It's supposed to be everyone working together. Because I don't have all of the gifts. Ethan doesn't have all of the gifts. Brandon doesn't have all of the gifts. Meredith doesn't have all of the gifts. That's why we need each other. That maybe you have the gift for that moment. Maybe you have the gift for that season. Maybe you have the gift for that reason. And the church is not built on the gifts of the one, but on the giftedness of the many. And when we all start working together, that's when we can begin to make a difference in this world. There are people in our city who are lost and hurting and broken, and without Jesus, they will die. They will go to hell and be separated from God forever. They don't know that there is a loving Father in heaven. They don't know that there is a Savior who died in their place. They don't know that there is a Spirit who will transform change and renew their life so they will never be the same again. They need the hope of the good news of the gospel of Jesus, and the Spirit of God wants to reveal himself through you so that way they can experience life change through Jesus. There are missionaries to be sent. There are tithes to be given. There are churches to be planted. There are people to be loved. There are, there are opportunities for us to serve. There is more work to do. There is things that God wants to accomplish. He has not yet returned yet, which means our job is not done yet, and we need to make a difference, and we do so by discovering our gifts. How many of you want to make a difference in the world, a difference with your life? You want to live with purpose, passion, reason. You want to be able to see God move in amazing, wonderful ways. You want your life to count. If you want to make a difference, then you need to discover your gift. So how does a person discover their gift? One word. Paul uses it right here. Some of you are going to go home and you're going to take a spiritual gift test. That's not bad. You can do that if you want to. I just don't believe that's the best way to discover your gift. I mean, you could do that. It'll take you about 45 minutes. There's about 100 questions. You can go through there, and it'll give you, you know, a little guideline, and it might be able to help you, and that's fine. Many people have done that. I've done it. But I think that there's a better way. See, Paul here says, I will show you a more excellent way. You know, sometimes we make the Bible more complicated than it needs to be. Okay, for 2,000 years, the church has been discovering the gifts, and they didn't have the internet before they did it. I think there is a more excellent way. And I think the Bible actually tells us how to discover our gifts. And it's right there, and it's this word here, desire. If you want to discover your gift, just desire your gift. The best way to discover the gifts is by desiring the gifts. Do you want the spiritual gifts? Because the gifts are open to you. The question is, are you open to the gifts? The gifts are available to you. The question is, are you available to the gifts? That God has the gift for you, but do you want the gift that God has for you? Do you desire the gifts? What I think is so interesting is, over the course of studying and preparing and talking to different people, I'm amazed week after week how many people don't pray for spiritual gifts. People are like, oh, that's not my gift. I don't know. Have you prayed about it? Well, no. Well, why don't you go pray about it? We're like, oh, I don't have the gift of prophecy. Well, have you prayed for it? 
Well, no. Well, why don't you go pray for it? Do you want it? Well, no. There you go. That's why you don't have it. People ask for the gift of tongues. They say, well, you know, I just don't speak in tongues. Okay, well, do you desire to do it? Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Then you don't desire the gifts that God has for you. Why would he tell you to desire something that was not good for you? Why would he tell you to desire something that was not there for you? Remember, he's a good father. Why would he tell you to desire something that he didn't want to give to you? The question is, do you desire the gifts that God has for you? If you want to discover the gifts, it starts with praying, asking God to give you the gifts. It starts just by desiring the gifts. So as I close, I told you I opened with an illustration and a question. I have two daughters, which means I have two illustrations. This is boop boop. <laughs> Again, this is not a Greek word. This is a stuffed animal. So, <laughs> bunny, I gave my daughter Esther this when she was born. She carries it with her everywhere. She carries it around. It's her best friend. She sleeps with it. It's her boop boop, right? Boop boop. <laughs> That's what I gave to her as a father. But today she's three years old. Is that the only gift I've ever given her? No. Because I love her as she grows, she also grows in her gifts. There's more gifts for you. You have one the moment you meet Jesus, but he has more for you. There's more gifts and more opportunities for you to grow in your gifts. And so as Christmas is coming up in just a few weeks, Esther's telling me all the things she wants for Christmas. She's telling me all the gifts. And she got an Amazon catalog. I didn't even know they made those. <laughs> How many of you parents, you're like, oh, the catalog, right? Remember that? She opens it up. She's like, oh, my God, they're, they're, there's dinosaurs and My Little Ponies and there's dollhouses and there's Spider-Man and there's Aquaman. She loves Aquaman. And she's like, I want all of it. There's, there's TJ Maz. And I'm like, oh, my God. Because this whole new world of gifts were available to her now. And she's like, I want these. Now, Christmas comes along. You think I'm going to buy her everything? No. But I will get her something. And you know what I'm going to get her? I'm going to get her what she desires. You need to understand your father is a good father in heaven who loves you with that love and the affection a father has. And he loves when his children ask. And he loves to give what you desire. So the question is just, do you desire the gifts? I've asked you five questions. I've helped you answer to discover the gift. Now let me close with one question that you need to ask yourself this week. Do you desire the gifts? Because that's really going to determine what you get out of the rest of this series. If you come here closed off to the gifts, then you're going to be closed off to God. But if you come here and you're open, well, then guess what? Heaven will be open for you. Do you desire the spiritual gifts in your life? I want you to go home and I want you to read 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And every time you read, I want you to ask yourself, do I desire the gifts? Am I desirous of what God has for me? Do I want what God has for me? Am I available to what God has for me? Am I open to what God has for me? Do I discover, do I desire the gifts? Ask that question, pray over it, and then come back next week as we dive in to the spiritual gifts.
Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.